Do you know what the you know what the, the the first dance was in the bicentennial celebration with Gerald Ford and Queen Elizabeth II? No, what? The song was "Ladies a Tramp," <laughs> and apparently you can see on her face as she's dancing with Gerald Ford her sudden realization, like, what the? F-? <laughs> like, oh my God! All right, okay. Hey, it's middle of July. It's my son's birthday. I'm John Podhortz. This is Glob Culture. My son's birthday, I want to repeat, Wow! right now, as we're recording, 12 years old. Happy birthday, Isaac. He's not going to hear this because he's at camp and he doesn't listen to this anyway. Also with me, Jonah Goldberg in Washington. Hi, Jonah. Hey, John. And, of course, in New York, on a rooftop, rooftop. looking like the captain and Captain and Tennille. I, I don't think I, I mean, I really, I'm not, the captain and the captain and Tennille wore the hat. It's, I'm not wearing it's a Rob hat. Long. He doesn't have a hat. That's right. He doesn't have a, he doesn't Actually, have a hat, but. You look like you should be at a middling bar in Key West. That's better. Giving yes. air to all of the grievances and regrets that led you to where you are. <laughs> I, yes, I believe there that. You know well, what? It, it didn't take us that long, but you nailed it. Yes. I mean, that is the that, fascinating because thing, I by have the way, done that song. and been that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so my office is directly across the street from the, the most peculiar tourist attraction sure. in New York City. The Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville Resort, a a hotel, a hotel on a on just south of Times Square, which has a which has a sort of small lap pool that I can see from my window. That's hot. Uh, and I bring this up only because you, uh, Jonah, just essentially summarized the plot of the song Margaritaville, which is wasting away in Margaritaville, mm-hmm. which is a complete. Uh, refutation of the margaritaville ethos yeah. that has become you know the center of the margaritaville business which Some is oh man say, let's right. all go get wasted and drink margaritas and with our flip-flops and step on a pop top and all this it's just interesting because the can song I, is about how how wrecked everybody in key west is and it, the business is right. all about how trying to market it is. yeah and brand key westism can I right. um uh, I, I heard these two, you know, how they, you know, they have they have fan theories about certain movies. I mean, the famous one is, of course, that Star Wars is really about, you know, uh, a, a terrorist movement. Um, you know, the the Al Qaeda. Yeah. This is sunny bunchism. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's a sort of a th- fan theory. Um, I heard two fan theories about two songs, which I think I love. I think I'm into one is uh, the famous Billy Joel song, Piano Man. And it's really a song about a guy playing a piano in a bar, and he is the only one who doesn't know it's a gay bar. <laughs> and, you know, and Phil is a real estate novelist who never had time for a wife. I've studied the lyrics to, when I heard this theory. Yeah, yeah. Talking he's with talking Davey. to Davey, who's still in the Navy and probably will be for life. And they all stay stand in my bar and put bread in my jar and say, man, what are you doing here? <laughs> this is it's such a, great, a good theory. Yeah, it's a great theory. It's, it, it, you know, it's and like I was I in a bar Jonah, and a guy was when, singing it like yes. uh, two weeks ago uh, at, at a famous uh, bar called the Club Car and uh, on Nantucket. And, uh, you know, it's a bunch of middle aged white people singing to the line. You're like, oh, this is. A, and then the second one is um, the uh, uh, song by Looking Glass, Brandy. Yes. And it's like the it's like the what would Rock Hudson, you know, in his early days, be singing like you're a you're a you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. But 
my life, my love, my lady is the sea. It's like your sea. It's mm. letting you letting her down softly. Yeah. That's the, that yeah. would be the rock. Well, it gives anyway. her a necklace. He gives her yeah. a necklace and he goes yeah. off to the sea. Yeah. I once blew Jonah's mind when he was a very young man. When he was with a gang of his friends, I think we were at a steakhouse or something. We were, ran Morton's. Into, we're at Morton's Uh-oh. and and protest somehow Miller's Crossing came up. Oh, sure. All right. And I said to Jonah, you know, that's uh, you know, that uh, the Gabriel Byrne character in Miller's Crossing is is gay. Uh, that's actually what it's about. It's that he's in love with Albert Finney, which is itself unusual. But OK. And uh, and Jonah got so angry. At I was me upset about he this. said, you are ruining. This is one of my favorite movies and you're totally ruining it for me. Now, I don't. I've actually, since recovered because I think you're wrong. You okay, know, but I think I don't know. I'm probably think right. wrong too, but I think I it's know. an interesting that scene because... between John Turturro and John and Turturro Gabriel and Gabriel Byrne in Gabriel Byrne's apartment, and Turturro is like taunting him because Turturro stayed alive, right? Or, and he or... is gay. Turturro's yeah, character right. is gay. That's right. And Mink, yeah, he's and the, has yeah. yeah, and has this massive. Uh, that his great boyfriend line. is this massive yeah. killer. A great line when he says yeah. something to Gabriel Byrne and Gabriel Byrne says to Mason Wisecrack is don't make wisecracks because when you do that, you ruin it. <laughs> it's just like, like yeah. it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, I, I don't know. If, but but I mean, I love those. Guys. And, you know, the big one at the moment, you guys have both seen Top Gun. Yeah. You've seen Maverick. Oh, yeah. yeah. Come on. So, you know, the theory. Oh, yeah. That's been the theory forever. Come on, John. Right. You know, Get which is it. that he, he he dies in the opening scene and that we are seeing this. Oh, oh, I didn't know that theory. Fantasy play out, huh. you know, in, in his dying moments of how he would kind of reconceive his life, put it on the right track, find the right woman, save the world and make amends with with uh, with Goose, right. with Goose's son and with and with Iceman. How are they going to? And I thought it was preposterous when Sonny Bunch was the first person who promoted it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, the more that I think about it, the more other people think about it. There is this very weird moment in the movie where he's flying this plane. He gets to like Mach 11 and then the screen just goes dark. And then you see him walk into this bar having crashed the plane, theoretically. And he says, you know, where where am I to some kid? And the kid says, or it's a diner and the kid says Earth. And then if you watch the rest of the movie and I saw it a second time, like there is something slightly hyper unreal. I mean, it's a ridiculous, you know, but it just <laughs> yeah, so you know, there's something <laughs> dreamlike. There's something yeah. dreamlike about what ends up going well, on. This the enemy remind... is never named. Oh, well, what are they going to do when they make a sequel? How are they going to explain that? I mean, yeah, that's the of, thing. I think this theory right. makes sense as a sort of like a way to uh, you, you, you put a pin in this theory in case it bombs <laughs> and then you say, yeah, he right. died in it. Right. But now there's going to be a sequel. It's it reminds me a little bit. There was Norm Macdonald made this argument that. Um, uh, that that Walter White was dead when he visited his wife in the at the end of the of Breaking Bad. And he had this shot by shot analysis of it that seemed really interesting. And I just think also wrong, but really interesting. There was that one there. There are weird traces of that in the in the conclusion of, yeah. of because, of course, uh, Aaron Paul shows up again 
drives off, you know, after they're, they're these slightly, again, kind of like hyper realistic or hyper weird. The tone sort of shifts the end of something or something super big, you know, uh, you, 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 there's, it's always a heightened feeling. Like what's the, what is the meaning of this? Well, as you know, you're coming to the end of something that everything has to have meaning. And it really, I mean, people said that about that last scene in cheers, when, a guy appears at the doorway and knocks on the door. The door, the bar is closed. And Ted says, no, sorry, we're closed. We're closed. And it was like this dark shadow. And he turns and walks away. And he's like, who, who did that represent? It it's death? like, well, that, that, was the, that was our agent. Literally, <laughs> that was our agent who had begged uh, yeah. for years for one more year. And it spent six months begging Ted for one more year. And then he was told that, that's what that represented. It represented money. Yeah, well, but, but like the Sopranos ending plays into this yeah, too, right? right? I mean, they they're liberally jerking you around about what it means and all that. And um, but I, I want to come back to the the reason why I laughed so hard about jo- so like John loving the piano man story <laughs> interpretation. The reason I think it's funny is just because like as my wife has said more than one time when I've said. Have you ever heard that so and so is gay? And she'll say, "No, where'd you hear that?" And I said, "Well, it's John's theory." And <laughs> and Jess will scream, "But Horitz thinks everyone's gay, right?" Yeah, but I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm right. I mean, and I'm then right. you go into this whole thing about the clock department. Yeah, everyone yeah. is gay and everyone is Jewish. Like if you you know, everyone peel, is on time. <clears throat> peel the layer. <laughs> peel, peel the layers a little bit. You start finding out somebody has some Hungarian. You know, they were. The name is kind of weirdly Spanish. I don't know. Anyway, um, well, so on the gay stuff, one last thing, because this is my favorite. And then can we do some juice stuff after that? Yeah. I want to yeah, sure. yeah, juice. Yeah, I got juice stuff. This is my favorite headline <laughs> of the week so far. It's from MSN. I guess it's some uh, subdivision of the MSN network. And the headline is. I defecate you negatory. Homophobic telescope reveals first high res images of deep space. I saw that. <laughs> and like, and apparently James <sighs> Webb had, there's some bad incidents of whatever with him at NASA. Yeah, in the he, 50s pursued, or he pursued, he uh, pursued, you know, closeted gay men. In, you know uh, who else did? Who pursued closeted gay men in a really vindictive and vicious way? Who? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. When he well, was the assistant secretary of the Navy, sure. right, right, right. Spearheaded something. The terrible. lavender scare, right? I mean, that, that's actually in Jamie Churchill's well, the, uh, Kirchick's very good book. It's oh, is it? Out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good book. It is a really it is. It is a it's not it's like I said this to Jamie so I can say this. It's like it's a it's a work of history. So it's it's a solid book. I mean, they can teach this book in American history classes. I was hoping for more of the you know, the Hollywood Babylon version, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the really the lurid stuff. And it's 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 for it's for grownups. He should have put okay. all of that in the footnotes. Do it oh, yeah, real yeah. dry in the text. You know, you know, for 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 nerds, for for crazy nerds, it's pretty close to being Hollywood Babylon. I mean, there yeah, is there is a lot of a lot of stuff in there. But right. let's go. Let's go. Let's go Jew hunting, because I got a couple oh. of interesting ones. Of course, the big one that people now know, but is not alluded to in the in the movie that is the un- surprise and undeserving hit Elvis is that Elvis was, as we say, halakhically Jewish. Elvis's grandmother, his mother's mother was a was a Jew. And uh, her tombstone has a Magen David, the Star of David on it. 
Um, mm. It is really? uh, so that, that that is Elvis. Elvis halakhically Jewish. Which why, then why was he so bad with money? Well, uh, you know, um, he he. It's a Dutchman, you see. Ah, uh, you got crosswise of a Dutchman. If there's well, anyone, their, if again. there's anyone who can snow a Jew, it's a Dutchman. <laughs> okay, so so that's, okay. so that's one. And then the other is Harry Connick Jr. No, Harry Connick Jr., whose father was a fan, was a fan prosecutor in in New Orleans, kind of a kind of a weird guy, uh, Harry Connick Sr. But it turns out his mother, Jewish. Didn't know that. I don't know what it explains, but I just wanted to share that with people. The, his love of the American songbook. Very much. That's right. right. So I can I can I just good, tell yes. my story, my auction story? Yes. So um, uh, I spent a few weeks with the family on uh, the island of Nantucket, which is just uh, off of Cape Cod. And uh, so you every, were a young man from Nantucket. It was. In fact, well, at one point. Uh, um, and I. Um, I uh, there's a there's a, a, a auction house there and they auction stuff off every you know, they have two or three auctions every every summer. You know, people over the years, they during the year they die. And then rather than take the stuff off the island, which is expensive, they just hold it for the summer auctions. So it's all this loads and loads of old stuff. Some of it's great. Some of it's terrible, you know, and there was one section in it. Uh, of, there's a lot of walking sticks from the old 19th century, a lot of walking sticks and they're like pearl handled or they're like ivory handled or they're carved the little monkey heads and Labrador heads at the top, you know, little knobs and whatnots. And, um, and I'm so scrolling through them during and it's a live auction, right? It's online mostly. And uh, there's one that has the headline um, uh, fine Judaica. <laughs> and the, the, the walking stick is a walking stick and the head of it, is a three-dimensional Der Sturmer cartoon. I mean, it is a guy yeah. with a, I don't mean like a big nose. I mean, literally a hook nose, like a bird, like a bird of prey and a yarmulke. And I just love, and, I don't, I, and it, it was sold, I, I guess. I, I, I was too astonished just to, like, I was going to bid on it and present it to you, John. But it's, um, but I just love the idea that it was under the Judaica section. Like, oh, this is, you know, with your other collection of your fine, you know, Hebrew Bibles and whatnot and shawls and et cetera. Also, this walking stick as if <laughs> the local rabbi had used it to keep it, you know, to keep balance. <laughs> Which, but anyway, I thought I'd share that. I knew, it, is, I knew. Uh, it, it is a pretty maybe maybe Scott, our producer, can like put it in the put a picture of it in the uh, yeah in the show notes or something so people can get a glimpse of this rather astonishing piece. Yeah, I sent of, you the picture. I was going to say Americana, but I'm, I'm guessing it's actually not Americana. I, I imagine no, it I think was you're right. carved somewhere in Europe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Euphemistically. Say, yeah. Euphemistically. Um, anyway, it, uh, you know, so, it's, a, it's a yes. This reminds me there was a um, there was an arrest or some guns were seized, seized from a home in Long Beach last week. And the wire version, I guess, from the are the new the, the, the news squib about it from a local ABC seven uh, story said this is the lead it says authorities stated or, this is the line authorities stated comments made by Jamie Alvarez on social media showed he wanted to harm, injure or kill African-Americans, people affected by homelessness, women and people associated with Judaism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like when did when did like it become I'm amazing? Amazing. I said one women. 
They could I know have that, said, was, that was my response. They on could Twitter. have said like, uh, you know, people capable. The, the term that was used by this Berkeley professor in this showdown with um, with Josh Hawley, the senator this week, was uh, people capable of pregnancy. This is the new euphemism for being actually a woman is that being capable of pregnancy, a person capable of pregnancy. Um, and I don't know what to say about this, except thank you for a thousand years of Republican rule <laughs> that is about to start because you people are all insane. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, the Democrat who comes in and says that a man is a man and a woman is a woman could literally run the country for 12 years. That, like, you know, if he got the right economic populist message and said, you know what, God is great and a man is a man and a woman is a woman, who knows what could happen? But uh, that's not going to happen, I guess. Isn't that sad? So, gentlemen. It is time for us to talk about underwear. It's impossible to play it cool when you're sweating, sticking, and chafing. Order up a frosty summer in brand new Tommy John underwear. Because when you wear Tommy John, you really will be that much cooler. So you can do everything better thanks to breathable lightweight fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. With dozens of comfort innovations, Tommy John will keep you looking and feeling cool all season long from lounging at home to summertime fun. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics with over 17 million pairs sold. People love their Tommy John underwear and loungewear. It's good. It's breathable. It's got wicking. It's got sticking. It doesn't stick because it's got wicking. That's what I got to tell you about Tommy John underwear. And it doesn't just make you feel cooler. You actually are cooler. Stay up to seven degrees cooler than cotton. In Tommy John's Apollo underwear, plus there's no risk because you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. Shop TommyJohn.com slash Klopp right now for 20% off your first order. Get 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash Klopp, TommyJohn.com slash Klopp. See site for details. Um, um, news just broke. Uh, I, yes. I, I'm not trying to introduce this with mirth, just stating it as fact. Ivana Trunk. Trump has died. Trump, uh, Ivana. Ivana. Did what Ivana. I, Ivana. Yeah. Oh, God. Ivana. So well, age 73. 73. Oh, my mm -hmm. God. That's too bad. But she, but she's, that's quite young. Wasn't she, what she died, does it say? Uh, it might. Because, um, I mean, she was a kind of an athlete, wasn't she? She's the person, of course, named him the Donald. She would right. say, Where is the Donald? Cardiac arrest. Oh, wow. my God. Mm. Wow. So, uh, Ivana, Ivana Trump, of course, um, notoriously, you're not cuckolded if you're a woman, right? You're what what are you if you're a, you're two timed or you're betrayed, betrayed or something like that? <laughs> betrayed, right? Uh, by by uh, by 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 the Donald's relationship with with uh, with Melania, Marla Maples, um, Marla Maples uh, excuse me, Marla Maples, not right. Melania, right? Who of course claimed uh, told. Um, I believe through Donald's administration told Liz Smith that um, it was the best sex she'd, she'd ever had. That was, we should have known when Trump came down the escalator that he was going to win because how a person who not only survives, but thrives in an atmosphere in which you are somebody whose divorce is on the front page of the paper. And you say, someone says it's the best sex you've ever had. And you go on and everything is great. Like, you know, there's something 
you're lucky special about that person um yeah yeah you got all you're lucky you know one thing you could say about uh ivana trump maybe is that um rob is that she was iconic oh now you want to get into that right well yeah okay do you think hey, she but, was before, icon- before you know, we set him off i i looked it up yeah uh cuck queen q u e a n a cuck queen is the wife of an adulterous husband huh a huh. queen um the gen and the gender opposite of a cuckold interesting wow cuck queen sounds of course- it's cuck queen it sounds like um, it's more euphonious. It sounds like a, one of those, yeah, like an island. Like we, you know, we actually went to Kikwin, um, uh for the winter, and it was great. And uh, it's not fancy. We had the conch fritters. It was not great. fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and t- Tommy Hilfiger has that has the house next door on, on Kikwin. Yeah, he's one of our Kikwin. Uh, anyway, so would you would you deny Rob that Ivana Trump was iconic? Yeah, I would. I deny that anything is iconic except an actual. Russian Orthodox icon with a K. <laughs> Everyone uses the word iconic because they just don't know what to mean. Because they, they want to sound like they're saying something important and they're ma- rendering an important judgment, an artistic judgment. It's like why they be, people use the word curate instead of just, you know, put together or assemble or stack on top of each other. Uh, they, they, everything's got to be elevated. So it's like it's iconic. Iconic scene. Iconic of what? What is it an icon of? It's not. They just mean it's memorable or good or people talk about it or everyone's tweeting about it. So and I just I hate it so much and I can't get past it now. I can't use the word iconic. I'm out. I'm just out. Okay. would it be okay? again, mentioning this undeservedly successful movie, Elvis. Would it be okay to describe Elvis Presley as iconic? iconic? What is an icon of? Uh, of the religion of Judaism, mu- of American popular music. How about well, Judaism? How about he's a um, messianic. Yeah, uh, he's the uh, rock and it's an icon, you know, rock and roll. Um, uh, the founder of rock and roll. Given some uh, an active verb, I think you want not not this weird passive. The king. And once it's all been the king, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and once it's all been, once everyone's icon, everything's iconic. Everything's iconic, and everyone's iconic. Then no one is iconic. So we've ruined the word. So let's just give the word a ten-year, twenty-year holiday. Let's let the soil regenerate itself. Let the earth heal itself. Let icons heal themselves, and then we can use the word again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe it's the line of work that you're in, or the people you travel with. But I got to tell you, of of my bugaboos about words being ruined. Iconic is just not high up on my list. I mean, well, I, I, I'll wrong. fight to the, I, I'll fight to the death to save literally, um, to mean literally, mm-hmm. uh, but I won't literally fight to the death to save literally. <laughs> um, but like iconic, I mean, like John Wayne was iconic. I that that this does not send me into spasms of rage. I mean, do you get really mad when people say legendary? I don't like that, but I don't get mad at it so much because I, I understand what they're, they're what they're saying. I understand that it is now a part of lore. Some legendary thing mm-hmm. is like it's kind of true, kind of true. It's, it, it's a he, uh, you know, uh, I would say John Wayne is a legendary movie star. He's sort of he's emblematic of what a movie star is supposed to be. Yeah, I, I just, I, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I, I associate iconic more visually. Right. So like iconic photos, Marilyn Monroe with the great blowing her skirt up, uh, the couples kissing at Times Square. 
those are iconic photos, right? They're sort of yeah. I, I, no, I think they're, that's they're true. Embedded I think in the that would be a proper use of the word, a proper restrained use of the word. Unfortunately, it's we haven't done that now. So we have you know we have word inflation, and like anything else, inflation just removes the value for something. So we just have to we have to reduce the money supply on iconic, reduce it, and I would bring it down to zero, and uh, and then be let it refresh itself when necessary. That's my, my John is incredibly. John is a University case. of Chicago guy. Yes. Do you do you bristle at the uh, profligate and promiscuous use of canon? Of canon? Uh huh. Yes, I loathe. I loathe the use of word the the use of the word canon to refer to you know Marvel's comic book <laughs> tradition, for example. <laughs> I think if you want to refer to the Western canon, yeah. yes. But you know the question of whether or not. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the mm-hmm. new series on Disney Plus that posits yeah. that there was a confrontation between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader 10 years before Luke Skywalker emerged as the as the you know central figure of Star Wars, that that does that or does that not violate canon? And it's like, really? Are we really going there? <laughs> Are we going to how Star Wars tries to make a series to make a profit for the Disney Corporation that paid four billion dollars for the rights to Star Wars, that it has to it has to fit into canon, or can you just say, you know, the Star Wars storyline is kind of being tampered with, like it's storyline, it's not canon. So I I I I, okay. I I I I knew you were gonna. I mean, you took my bait, um, and. Um, I, but I actually don't want to argue about the word canon. I do want to just talk, and I'll do this in a way that I don't turn off Rob because I know Rob doesn't like to talk Good about luck. movie, you know, movies that actually entertain large numbers of people. Um, I hate that. Uh, um, but like ballpark, what do you think the Star Wars franchise is worth? All in, you know, fifty billion dollars. You know, yeah, hard, 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 something like managed that. Managed right? properly. Right. The Star okay. Wars, the Star Wars franchise should be worth twenty five billion dollars. It for has it. been wildly mismanaged. I agree. Words, so he- the purchase price of four billion, which was the largest amount ever paid for anything ever of, of a certain type, was nothing if they hadn't screwed everything up. Right. So I mean, but this gets to my point. I my question. I, I I've I'm. Perfectly fine with putting a ring fence around Rob's hatred of nerds and nerd culture, right? Like, let's just stipulate that he's right to hate all of them. <laughs> I also think that Rob has nothing but respect for people who try to monetize their nerdery, True. right? Like, if you can bilk money out of I'm them, I'm in. Like, I'm with you. So, so is it that difficult for some executive? Some Rob Long like executive yeah. at Disney to say, hey, we're going to do this Obi-Wan thing, right? Because we, we think we can we can make some money off of this thing. But we don't want to piss off the nerds because they're suckers who keep coming back and giving us money. They're like the dope fiends who show up every day in the wire and you got to you got to give them what they want. So don't write it in any way that kind of pisses them off or gets in the way of like, the attraction of this thing, yada, yada, yada. Would it be so hard to not violate canon? Right. Why? why, Wouldn't you just want to sort of on a purely greedy Mm -hmm. 
fundamental business sense want to sort of like, it doesn't cost them anything extra to write it right. And it's not like there's a shortage of, of hack writers in Hollywood perfectly willing to write it right. So why wouldn't you write it right? I have, I was just going to say, I have an objection in the reverse, which is that a lot of what's gone on with the Star Wars TV stuff has been an effort to use Star Wars canon that literally nobody cares about. That is to say, to fit it into a timeline that involves a cartoon series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the 1990s. See, I wouldn't use the word the canon Clone there. I would Wars. use the word apocrypha. Okay. <laughs> See, that would be fun. But I mean, it's like there are these char- they're making these shows about characters right. that nobody cares about. Mm-hmm. And then they say, no, no, no. See, they were on season four of the Clone Wars. Right. right. Or they were in the novels. Or they were in the novels and they're like on the on the um, Obi-Wan show, which was dreadful beyond belief. There's this whole thing where Obi-Wan, there are these people in the Empire and somebody says, you are right, third sister. And then someone else says, you, I want to be the Gablongatron and you, you will make me the Gablongatron. And all of this evidently is highly and heavily detailed in the novels and in the cartoon series. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like you're creating, you're making references to things, you know, it would be like, you're making references to things that 12 people on the planet earth have even paid the slightest attention to. Yeah. But in the meeting and then you're in the meeting (laughs) where you have the meeting for this. It seems to make sense. And then you say, I know everybody hated the three ones that he made that Lucas made that were before the, the prequel ones, but they made a whole lot of money. So people complain, especially people who are into the canon complain. And so they, they'll complain, but they'll still watch and they'll still subscribe. They'll subscribe to complain, but we'll always we'll, we'll get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and widen. And yeah, there's going to be some missteps. There's going to be some brand extensions that don't make any sense. And you pull them back and you figure it out. You just figure it out. Like, um, remember, like, I don't know how many years ago when the Pepsi Corporation decided what America really wanted was like pe- crystal Pepsi or Pepsi crystal or something. And it was Pepsi, mm, but Pepsi it was clear. clear. Pepsi yeah. clear. And uh, people want this. They want Pepsi clear. So they invented Pepsi clear and they made a lot of bottles of Pepsi clear and they spent a billion dollars trying to sell people on Pepsi clear and nobody wanted Pepsi clear. So then they said, okay, well, forget that. We don't do Pepsi clear anymore. But what if they had? What if people said, oh, you know what? I've, the thing about Pepsi that's always turned me off has been the color. And now it, it's clear. So I'm in. Um, I don't know. You try something. You try stuff. You got a big. You got a big brand. Spend a lot of money. You're sending it. They're getting a lot of value out of that brand. They're gonna looking for all the different ways they can extend it. Um, I, I mean, you know, I understand that you 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 they're violating canon for you on an iconic series. But there you go. That's <laughs> show business. Here's my feeling. I so I went to see Thor: Love and Thunder, the Thor sequel. And it's fun. I really enjoyed it. It's a fun, cute movie with a lot of jokes. It's very silly. It's really slapstick silly. And it, at, at its best, it's just kind of like almost like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I mean, it's it's that it's that level of silliness. 
But, you know, there's a villain it starts with this villain. This guy is he's, he's out in the desert with his daughter and they're dying of thirst. And then and then he he prays to the gods. The kid dies. He meets the god. The god says, I don't care. A sword rises up from the ground. He kills the god with the god killing sword and he becomes the god slayer. And the whole thing is Thor has to save the world from the god slayer. So I, I then hear and it's a bad plot. Because who cares whether really sounds God? <laughs> yeah, no, but it's like, who cares? It's like Thor's like, we have to stop him from killing all the gods, you know, like that. it's like, really? That's a that's really a thrilling adventure right. to go on. Um, and and so then I hear it's like, OK, well, you know, the reason that they did this is it's from the Thor run in 2012 drawn by, you know, Phil Schmedlap. <laughs> And it's one of the great runs. I mean, for a year and the gore, the God killer, it's really fantastic. And I'm like, you know what? Don't go to Canon. Like you have the best screenwriting minds in the world who would do kill to do anything here. Don't pluck characters out of, out of comic, but nobody cares about like, just, you know, find a good villain and make a plot. Like don't, you know, it doesn't have to conform to some Marvel universe thing. There again are t- Nobody that I agree with. Comic, I mean, like nobody reads a good comic story. books anymore, right? So it's like right. twenty five thousand people read read this comic book. It's bizarre to hinge a billion dollar property on a twenty five thousand reader comic book. No, that that part I agree with. It's fine. I just like if you're gonna say we're gonna do stuff from canon in the Star Wars stuff, yeah. Yeah, do it. You know, but like, I mean, I, my point is, is it, it like it'd be one thing if that Obi-Wan Kenobi thing were good. Right. Right. But it wasn't good. Yeah. And I just and I know, you know, Rob's, you know, uh, rubber chicken dinner story about the executive who says we're going to make 10 right. movies next right. year. Two are going to be successful. Three are going to do OK. Hey, it's a good story, fly, by the way. It is a good story. Right. And then some, in, you know, some Japanese businessman that always changes uh, says, you know, why don't you just make them all good? So I understand that you sometimes you can't yeah. make them all good, but like there was no time pressure to come out with Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> like it, they could have just made it not bad and and or they could have made it bad without screwing everything up with the canon. It is, I find it kind of baffling. That's all. Yeah, it is, it is baffling. You know what? What, what also what, what else is baffling? Like rising cost of living, rising student sure. debt, buying a house. You don't want to leave your kids with a huge financial burden. How do you solve this problem? Well, that's one of the reasons people get life insurance, you know, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose ladder. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, just answer a few questions about your health in an application You just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. No hidden fees. Cancel anytime. Get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and they made Forbes' Best Life Insurance 2021 list. And keep in mind, life insurance costs more as you age. So now's the time to cross it off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash clop today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash clop. Ladder life. 
com slash glop. Um, Rob, you have a story to tell us about Dom DeLuise. I, I don't even know how to, how to <laughs> well, transition. I don't to know. That. I just suddenly came to me. Dom DeLuise. I heard, there's no transition to Dom. I, DeLuise. Uh, we should have been talking about Cannon and Cannonball Run. Yeah, and maybe so. Segue into uh, Dom Dom. I think it's because a <laughs> yeah. uh, I, Cannonball I, I, Run. Excellent. I, I, they, uh, there's a new there's a new. Um, OK, this is a very glop. Uh, way into this story um, because it's uh, be utterly, utterly baffling and infuriating to anybody under 60. <laughs> but on the corner of 6th Avenue and I think 10th Street, maybe 9th Street, there was a, I guess, a bar club there in the hippie days that was famous enough that it's in the movie, I guess, in the play to Cactus Flower with um, Walter Matthau and um, Ingrid Bergman, actually, and Goldie Hawn. And, and they go to this on. like yeah. thing. And I remember watching the movie and thinking that's that's the uh, it was the sandwich. Like, what is it? Sandwich Le- Lechner's Lechner sandwiches or something. It's a sandwich place now. And then it was closed for uh, Lenwich sandwich. And then it's closed. And now it's the bagel pub. And so I went in because I had never been in, but I'd seen the movie and I thought I better like it. And it kind of looks just except now it's a bagel place. Uh, and I was in there and some old guy walked in and said, uh, this place smells terrific. And then he turned around and walked away. And I'm like, that was like, I was like, see the way he said it just did something in my memory. And I remember doing a show once um, as some series, I can't remember which series it was. And we had Dom DeLuise's son was a guest star. Um, and I forget his first name because there were a couple, he had a couple. There's Peter and there was it Mike. Was Peter. There were two, two actors. And Peter, Peter was, and he was basically a day player. It was beginning his career. But Dom, the father, came to watch his son. And Dom was sitting in the front row. And we were like, we all met Dom. And he came and he, for me, took pictures with him. I have a picture of me with Dom Dolly at some point. And after the show, you know, everybody's applauding. And then he's leave. Dom's leaving. And he, 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 catches my eye because i'm on the stage and he's above in the rail and he pulls and he w- w- motions me over and i go over there and he goes this show smells terrific it smells terrific and he does the thing like it's got a, it smells terrific and i was i not not heard that sentence until you know for, for almost 30 years and then i heard it in the bagel pub on sixth avenue ninth on ninth street so um that the entire story and now we can go back to talk about your nerd okay. stuff. So when he said well, smells terrific, was it like euphemism idiom for like this smells like smells success? like success? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like uh, in the okay. way that when uh, when Burt Lancaster leaves and was the sweet smells of success and he's walking out um, of the store club and it's a, some grimy streetscape in Times Square. And he says uh, to Sidney Falco, um, I love this dirty town. I love this dirty. It's great. Town. But it's like it smells terrific. You know, so the opposite of you stink of failure. No, it's the opposite of yes, you stink of exactly. you stink of success. But it's still yeah. it's olfactory. It's about aroma. Put it that uh-huh. way. I, I like yeah. it. I like it. it smells yeah. terrific. All right. Um, so it, to continue with the uh, ridiculous uh, gloppish uh, anecdote thing, um, I am now required to uh, provide a completely meaningless piece of corrective information that may not be a corrective based on my reading, as people will remember on previous clops of preposterous show business autobiographies, I have no business reading. So the latest is I was reading Rodney Dangerfield's autobiography, uh, which is called It Ain't Easy Being Me. It was published in 2004, a month before his death. He went in for a heart operation and never woke up from the anesthetic. He was 83 years old. And this book, which is actually 
kind of a remarkable document because it's really about the very sordid life that he lived as a kind of coke freak pothead aluminum siding salesman who ends up becoming a successful comedian after the age of 40. Um, and, but nonetheless is just sort of a wild man depressed, you know, repressed. But um, so I have told on this show several times, this anecdote, my favorite writing editing note ever uh, the three word note that turned a movie into something iconic <laughs> which is that Rodney Dangerfield was going to be in Back to School, this movie, famous old plot. Bing Crosby had made a movie about this. The, you know, the, the parent who, who enrolls in the college where his kid is to get closer to his kid. And uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't work it out. It wasn't working right. It wasn't going well because he was like a, a regular guy. So why would he be in college? What's going on? All of that. And the story that I'd heard is that the great sitcom writer... Jerry Belson had, was engaged to help them solve the problem of how to make right. back to school. And that he gave them a three word note, which was make Rodney rich. And from that, the floodgates open. Rodney becomes the owner proprietor of this chain of, uh, of, of, of big and tall clothing stores. And he is, uh, a rich guy, he goes to campus, he renovates his room into like a palace, he hires Kurt Vonnegut to write his paper on Kurt Vonnegut, he enjoys being wealthy, and he makes no apology for it and all of that, and is self-confident and full of, you know, and full of uh, pizzazz. So I'm reading, and I've heard this story, William Goldman tells the story in one of his, I think in Adventures of the Screen Trade, about, you know, what it is that script doctors do. And uh, I'm reading Rodney Dangerfield's book, and he says that it was Harold Ramis, his director on Caddyshack, who said, make Rodney rich. And 20 years, I've been 30, 40, I've been believing this story about Jerry Belson, and now it's about Harold Ramis. But Rob, whom I shared this fact with, I think got it right. You, Rob... Jerry Belson told you. Yeah, I didn't tell me that make Rodney Rich was but, his. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm. It was. It was. He. He was around when that story was told. So it was like it wasn't like somebody told me some lore. Like right. and it turns out Jerry Jerry Belson was like in the room or in the next room or something. He used to come to the. Uh, he was. Like, he, I right. mean, I never really worked with him, but I met him a bunch of times. Um, he helped out on Cheers a lot. Uh. Yeah. So I think what happened was that like what, what usually happens is you you pass it around to different people. And I think probably Ramus gave it to Jerry Belson, who was very famous and very funny and was a guy you really would want to read something to say, like, why is this not working? It should work. And that that was that was sort of Jerry Belson's really great um, skill, which is the skill of sort of every great rewrite guy, which is say, actually, here's why it's not working, because you need this. And then you put this in the front and everything's changed and it's better. Um, make Rodney rich. It's just everything, everything works better. And it isn't really even remarkable because that Rodney was rich in Caddyshack. It's basically that he's the rich guy right. who's just he's right. rich, but he's uh, he's tacky. Right. Rich Rodney among the snobs is better than poor Rodney among the snobs. Right. Um, and then I think that Ramis then passed it on to Rodney. And in the way that sometimes certainly comedians do, Rodney thought, oh, that's a really great idea I had. And that's kind of how that happened. 
But and, and it's not right. like I don't think he was being vindictive, being evil or anything. It, it is generally true, generally true that that um, for uh, for a lot of entertainers and actors and comedians, in order for that to get them to embrace a piece of material that isn't theirs, you have to make them think that it's theirs because they are nervous about anybody else's material or anybody else's ideas that they're not going to be able to deliver. It isn't, it isn't so much ego, although that's part of it. A lot of it is also fear. Like, uh, I, I, you know, I actually have a famous story about Jackie Gleason. My friend Bob Sam is a young writer. Was, uh, his, uh, Gleason had barked, screamed at his manager, I need more material, I need, I need new material. And so his manager met this young writer, Bob Sam, very young at the time, and said, you're funny, uh, uh, write some jokes and then come down to Miami Beach. And so Sam wrote a bunch of jokes and went down to Miami Beach and then met the, the manager in the lobby of the... Um, the Eden Rock, I think, whatever, wherever Jackie Lee was living at the time for because he was doing a show every every week. And uh, they went up and, um, and the manager looked at the jokes. And These are great. You, you've captured Jackie's voice. This is great. And they handed the, they went up to the, the suite and there was Jackie Gleason in his big silk dressing robe. And he handed the thing and he said, here's some material, Jackie, from this new young writer. And Gleason looked at it like confused and read it and like, I don't what is this? It's the material. It's new material for you. You said you wanted new material. I don't know any of these jokes. I don't know any of this material. <laughs> yeah, it's new. It's new for you. I don't want new material. I want old material. That's new. <laughs> and it kind of makes sense. And so that was it. So then they went back and the manager said, thank you very much, Bob, for coming. And um, well, I hope to see you soon. Uh, but you need to know something about Jackie, that he's broke right down the middle, which is the phrase I always love. Broke right down the middle. I mean, he's just nuts. But you know, you kind of get it. Like, uh, I need new old material. So uh, before I, I don't have some great old Hollywood anecdote, uh, you know, because I'm so much younger than That's you true. guys. Um, but um, we're on the topic of back to school. And I have a enduring peeve. I think back to school is a brilliant, it's a great, wonderful, movie. great movie. Right. Um it has one absolutely unbelievably brilliant casting decisions in it, other than Roddy Dangerfield, mm-hmm. and one absolutely I terrible. Know terrible one. You mean. Go ahead. The son, yeah. Keith yeah. Gordon, is awful yeah. in it. You don't sympathize with him. You almost yeah. are sympathizing with the Aryan blonde wasp guy because you just don't like right. him. You're like, you feel sorry for Rodney Dangerfield to have this putz of a son. Um, he's just totally miscast. I guess Keith Gordon, the guy who played him, is a good actor. Fine. Wrong guy. But the casting that is brilliant, that basically should have. But who was it who was in Shakespeare in Love who got an Oscar for being on screen for like six minutes? Judy Dench. Judy Dench. Yeah. The Judy Dench of Back to School is Ned Beatty. Dean Every, that's really that's that's it's, yeah, Dean that's significant. Every, yeah. He, he is so he's good. So Every single scene, he does it so perfectly winking about his corruption while being funny at it. He's the best character. Uh, One is the line of dialogue that I remember because Keith Gordon actually was a young director. I directed an indie film called uh, uh, about the YA Robert Cormier YA novel, The Chocolate War. And he directed a a little a very indie picture version of it, which is actually pretty good. And and by the way, the biggest the, the recurring theme song in that movie is the Kate Bush running up the hill, which is now the number one song because the 80, 1986 is back. Oh, Stranger, Stranger Things. things. But yeah. um, there's this moment where he, it, it, he's di- he's diving. He's a diver. 
Like it was the weirdest sport choice that he had, that was his sport. And, and they created this, the, the college that they all went to was somehow famous for its diving program, which is so, so weird. Right. But so he's diving and he's a little scrawny kid. Like doesn't look like a diver. And, uh, and then the Aryan diver, because of course the whole university turns out for the diving tournament um, says uh, your father, he's a jerk or something. Uh, you'll you're, you're just like your father. Like, and Keith Gordon's line is, well, you know what? That's fine with me. Because I happen to love the guy, which is a terrible, terrible piece of dialogue and kind of was the I sort of always remember that it's a bad piece of dialogue, then done poorly. The other thing what I loved about back to back to uh, back to school is the the 100 percent commitment to the the rich guy snob professor was like right out of a 1930s movie. I think he had a monocle and he drove an old roadster and he talked like this and he was like, my, my good head. It was so great. It was like, yeah, he's, he's the rich yeah. professor guy with a monocle and the roadster. Yeah. And he's always in a weird suit. And I just love the fact that they just went for it. They didn't they didn't say, well, wait a minute. I mean, five more minutes on the rich guy. Can't we come up with something? No, no, we're going to do. He's going to be in the Duesenberg, which I loved. Oh, Oh, Philip. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what that's yeah, what Sally Kellerman yeah. says every right. time he. Oh, well, this, this is not the way business works. Wait, he's he's oh, not Phillip. fit for this fine university. This fine, <laughs> we are the I my name is Thornton Farquhar in the third department or something. <laughs> that's so great. So yeah. great. We Too should amazing. also apologize calling uh, Billy Zabka the Aryan guy because Billy Zabka yeah. plays the blonde. Yeah frat jerk brilliantly and everything sure, that he does. That's right. I mean, that is an amazing career. So Billy Zabka is the villain in Karate Kid, and then he is the villain in Back to School, and then he vanishes for 30 years, and then he comes back as the star of Cobra Kai, this sort of corkscrew sequel to Karate Kid, where, you know, he is now the loser of the San Fernando Valley and the Karate is, Kid, Ralph Macchio. Karate Kid is, is iconic and the and Cobra Kai is loyal to canon. And Zabka is fantastic yeah. in Cobra Kai. I mean, it is a dazzling. Now, is Zabka the one with the nuts and the caramel swirl? Well, that's Bobka. Sorry, I'll give him. That's, that's a Bobka. Bobka. That's Billy Bobka. Bobka. Anyway, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know of a case except maybe the guy who played uh, the pitcher in not the in uh, where the uh, Kelly Link, the guy who played Kelly Link in the Bad News Bears. Yeah, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, Jackie Earl yeah, Haley, right. who oh, again yeah, yeah, also yeah, yeah, yeah. vanished for like 25 years. He was in Breaking Away. He was in Bad News Bears. Yeah, he yeah. was great. And then he shows up again 30 years later in this movie, Little Children and in Dark Shadow. Right. And he is fantastic. I don't know. I don't know any. There are very few cases, like, except, of course, for short round from Indiana Jones and the Temple of sure. Doom. Lee Kwai Khan, who is one of the two stars of Everything Everywhere All at Once, the gigantic indie hit multiverse movie that came out earlier this year again vanished after the goonies shows up 35 years later in a starring role in a huge hit movie that that's a very enjoyable thing i think when this happens <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just nice. sort of like something to someone celebrate. once said that that because uh, sean astin was also in the goonies i think yeah and mm -hmm. someone i think i heard this this is a sean a sean astin self-owned so i don't i mean I don't, i'm not trying to be mean to sean astin and so, yeah, because what, what did you do from the Goonies before Lord of the Rings? That stuff. He goes, oh, I, uh, I ate. 
mostly I was eating, you know, because he kind of had large, but I, I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. For 20 years, we've been doing it's like donuts mostly. Carbs, clearly. Yeah, um, so, Jackie Earl Haley was also in Damnation Alley. That's true. Which was supposed, uh, which was supposed to be the big hit instead yeah, of Star the Wars. The year of Star Wars, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so uh, The Boys and Stranger Things and uh, then we but gotta I gotta go. Do, so, I gotta do the thing first. Oh, uh, do your thing. Yeah, we got we got to talk to you about Athletic Greens. Because we have another, we have a sponsor and I am doing this spot because I actually believe and use this product every day. Uh, it is Athletic Greens. Um, uh, this is a product I use every day and I started taking AG1. Now they call it AG1, but I call it Athletic Greens because, you know, I uh, I was taking these multivitamins and they, if you don't eat and then you take them and then they then they make give you a stomach ache and then you, you never really feel like they're working. Um, and I was also doing these probiotics and this one, it's all in one. You get more energy, optimized immune system. Uh, it's a supplement that tastes great. And also you drink it with water. Um, so what is it? It's with uh, Athletic Greens 1, AG1, one scoop. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food stores, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging all the things that you need. I drink it in the morning almost always, but if I don't drink it in the morning, it is a great afternoon lift. I'm telling you. This stuff is great, and uh, and you take it with water, so it really it has does double duties. You're hydrated, but you're also getting really great um, nutrition, and it has less than a gram of sugar, which is good because in the afternoon I don't need any more than that. Um, it uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with c- constant product iterations and third party testing. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything. Still tastes great. Supports better sleep quality, recovery, along with mental clarity and alertness. And now it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your own health. And to make that easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Uh, full disclosure, I use the travel packs. They're easier. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash glop. That's athleticgreens.com slash glop. Take ownership of your health. Pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Um, I love my athletic greens, um, and I will, I will die on that hill. So, was that really something that required the phrase "full disclosure"? That I, that I, <laughs> what was I, what was <laughs> I, I was disclosing? Like, you said full disclosure. I use yeah, travel, travel packs. packs. They, 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 uh, the, were, they were, want you, you were, to. They, they, uh, they want you to do it in the. Th- it's much. It's more environmental. I don't know to have it in the thing and put the scoop in the water. But I like the travel pack because I don't have to do any scooping it's just right there but that's you know so it's me full disclosure we we were talking before the show about all these streaming shows right so i so uh i said uh uh our producer said uh, scott said uh, let's talk about the boys and jonah said whoa I, I i'm behind i haven't finished the season and then he said what about stranger things and then jonah said oh I, i'm behind on stranger things so this is the new a new phrase that I think is very specific to the streaming universe and to nothing else, except for like, you know, your emails or like your homework, Mm -hmm. there is nothing else on earth that you are behind except a show that is on streaming that has released episodes that are available to you, but you haven't watched them yet. Is am I am I correct I'm in Harry in Potter of book verbiage? kind of things? Right. I mean, like, oh, I'm I'm only on book three or whatever. But you would never say I'm behind on Harry yeah. Potter. Yeah, I guess that's right. I don't think you would say that. 
you know, yeah. I'm behind on, you know, I, I have to the, say that's on one Bosch, of the reasons you know. that I, I, um, that's one of the reasons I'm such a jerk about this stuff is I really, I hate being pushed around. I hate this stuff yeah. <laughs> because yeah, this I, mean, stuff. There, yeah. There is, I have other reasons other jerky Jordan, i have other reasons <laughs> um for the other stuff uh i, I just I hate being pushed around i hate every people act acting like this something i have you have to do i i don't like any of that um i don't like going on tours i don't like going on like the, I, the, when i used to go on the nr cruises i yeah. hated all of that the, all of that stuff i hated it and i hate the idea that this thing that i just do when I want to, to sit down and flip around and find something to watch is now this homework. And then we use the language of homework. I'm, I'm way behind on that. I'm way behind on that. Yeah. You, oh, you aren't watching this? Oh, you have to. Like, no, come on. It's TV. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely right. And, you know, my kids, I have this experience with my kids where I'll say, oh, my God, we, we have to watch a funny thing happened on the way to the well, forum, do it, which actually. is a movie with zero Mustel. And they'll immediately get, no, we don't. I don't want to, I, I don't want to, because there is this element of like, we well, got to watch that. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's homework. You got to do it. Not like, Oh my God, you would so love it. It's so fan. I so, like that. Um, and, and I think we all have a little bit of a reaction of that. Like I have never seen, the wire. Why have I not seen the wire? Everybody well, tells me the wire. To. John, you got to see the wire. You have to. Right. Okay. <laughs> Which is like, because it's ninety hours, and I haven't started it yet. Full and disclosure. I, I just finished climbed... rewatching the whole thing. Wow, that is full disclosure. Okay. I haven't climbed Mount Kilimanjaro either. Yeah. So oh, you, you got to go like... to <laughs> okay. But I don't think anybody's <laughs> no. thinking that you should go to Mount Kilimanjaro. Okay. Well, you know, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I don't know. You know, I haven't I haven't gone. I haven't walked to the top of the Statue of Liberty yeah. either. I'm just saying, like, there is that feeling that it's like, oh, man, I'm just not even going to go there. I can't even I can't even think about going there. My my daughter was watching Stranger Things, watched the first seven episodes, which were, you know, and then they're then they released the last two. And each of those episodes is like more than two hours. And she was like, oh, my God, no. I'm on her side. I'm you on know, her side. Like, I can't. I know. And I said, you know what? You don't really have to because actually the plot, <laughs> the plot at the end makes absolutely no sense. It makes it, it, it's completely in, in, incomprehensible uh, how how they resolve the plot of Stranger Things. Um, and it's very unfortunate. Uh, this really is like the worst season, I think. But. But uh, but I, I'm like, you don't really have to bother. Just read, read the synopses on, you know, on Vulture or something like that. And you could just find out what happens and be 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 done with yeah. it. Because, yeah, I understand. You don't want to spend five hours watching these two. Episodes. It's not like I have like, like I'm so busy. It's just that I don't really I don't know when I'm going to have the time to do that. I'm, it's not because I'm just this whirlwind social life that I can't. But I just there's a lot of me. I like to sit and I, like, I do two crossword puzzles a day. I do the journal one and then times one. Mm-hmm. And that takes a certain amount of time. And I like to think that's the time when I would be watching the Mandalorian. And instead I'm doing crosswords. <laughs> and you don't multicast like you don't have the TV on when you're doing the crossword. No, I like to sit and quiet and with my pen and be restful. Mm-hmm. His pen, his brandy. Yeah. And his uh, right, my sister and my and my Duesenberg and shouted Sally Kellerman. Yeah. Hey, he's, this man is a, 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 a blot on the stain of the university. Oh, I, I'm going to a faculty oh, meeting. And I'm going to fill my pipe now. 
I'm oh, I'm Rob. Fuck Watson. So, as, a, as opposed to as opposed to Mary Tyler Moore's, of course. Oh, oh Rob. Rob. <laughs> there was a uh, yeah, I, they used to do that in the office with me when I was like, they, there's another one was oh, Rob. And it, there was somebody invented. Was David <laughs> oh, that's, Lloyd. that's Richard. That's Richard yeah, Deacon. Rich, and, right? yeah, and David Lloyd invented that for when something when he was in the room, which was only Wednesdays, when something bad had to be done or something mean had to be done or something tough had to be done. He was like, oh, Rob. And then eventually it became started as a joke. And then it became this thing like, oh, I I guess I have to do it since they made up a phrase for it, which is like when somebody had to be fired. Who's going to make that call? <laughs> oh, Rob, you know. Elaine Stritch is in your office. She wants to talk. Oh, Rob, that, that actually looked really happy. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, um, Rob, I read uh, again in my in my in my pastime of reading preposterous show business autobiographies. As I told you, I read the the, the memoir by James Burroughs, yeah. who is the yeah. most celebrated sure. TV comedy director of, of our of our time, who mentions you in the book, as you know, um, and I, I, I found one very interesting thing that I hadn't thought of before. It's actually quite a boring book, but there's one very interesting detail, which is that he always he discovered over time. He started on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. He then cheers and will and grace and news radio and various other things. That um, uh, he likes levels. He wants a set with levels mm-hmm. so that people are at different heights and levels and it really works well. And news radio did this and did that. And, did that. and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And then I thought of all the shows that he did that were wildly successful and none of them. <laughs> well, no, I mean, no, taxi no, does. Taxi, taxi Cheers does. does too. People come in, well, taxi does. they enter, well, from, Cheers has levels? Yeah, they enter from the outside of a, a raised step. And then you have the bar, the restaurant upstairs. So you had all these, you'd be able to, you, you could march upstairs and mm-hmm. down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, but 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 most of the the action takes yeah, place well, on an on a single level. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, right. But, yeah, and I guess I guess Louis is up in the up corner in the, corner, in the right. dispatcher's booth in in taxi, and sort of like can open the window, you know, throw down a punchline and then close the window again, right? Which is sort of like Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, yeah, and there's and the, the and there's show. also this the the metal staircase that goes up to the lockers and the scaffolding behind right. them. And to bring this kind of full circle, I kept thinking about one of my favorite speeches in sitcom history is from Jim Ignatowski, Christopher Lloyd, um, where he start, he's walking up those steps. This is the way at least I remember it. And he's talking about Star Trek and he's saying how he loves Star Trek. But then in the third season, they just had Romulans doing things that Romulans would never do. <laughs> uh, um, the the uh, Jimmy books is, is, is very sweet and he's like very kind, nice and, and, and very gentle guy. So, you know, again, if you read it, you're looking for dish, you're not going to find it. Um, but it's interesting. And I mean, he gave two of two of the best uh, directions I ever I ever saw. And he gave me a piece of advice that I didn't listen to. Um, one was uh, the one piece of direction. He, he was like, but, but he gave it a lot, which was like if something wasn't working uh, to certain actors and it was usually actors who were working very hard or actors who would come from the stage or something. He'd say, um, honey, everybody was honey to him. Honey, throw it away. Just throw it away. Because he kind of he talked like this. Just throw it away. And they it would like you could see it sometime register on their head. Like what? You mean not act? Just say it. And of course, that is always the right way to do the line. 
And then the second thing, I was, was shooting a pilot with him. We had Bob Newhart and Judd Hirsch on it. And they had this, they, he had orchestrated this really great thing where they're sitting down to eat and they were, they, they were at odds with each other. And um, uh, Judd Hirsch was like trying to set Bob's plate, uh, sit, uh, set his place at the table and was irritating Bob by putting a knife and a fork down and then gave him a napkin on his lap. And um, and it, the, the napkin wasn't really working. And I was like, I don't know, Jimmy, I don't know. This doesn't this seems like we're pushing it. And he goes, oh, wait, 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 Bobby, Bobby, honey, you know, the napkin's coming. And they did it again. You know, the napkin's coming. It's all he said, obviously, to one of the funniest, most genius people in the world, Bob Newhart. And so Newhart just did it instead of resisting the napkin coming. He just knew it was coming and suffered Judd Hirsch putting the napkin in his lap. And it was just a thousand billion times funnier. And it just won that one little thing. It's like make Rodney rich, you know, the napkin's coming. And then once I was doing yeah. a pilot and I showed him the set, uh, cause I wanted, I was talking about it and, and he was giving me advice on it. And, um, and it had a, it was basically kind of a taxi. It was set in a, a like a big home Depot and the manager's office was a tower basically on the set. We basically built a home Depot on an old soundstage and with steps leading up to her, uh, her, her office. And I said, and the great thing about this office is practical. So it's like, it's, it's not Louis's office, right? Because you couldn't shoot that. We can shoot that. And he said, oh, you're never going to go there. You're never going to shoot that. Like, no, no, Jimmy, we're going to shoot it. We have camera ports here and here. He goes, yeah, you're never going to do that. You're never going to do that. You want the thing to happen down there where everybody is. Yeah. You're never going to do that, <laughs> which is true. We never did it. But we spent a lot of money building it. But we never did it. Jonah. Yes, John. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Because uh, this is I'm sandbagging you, so I, I don't want to. I clearly that's why you can't you sense my enthusiasm to be. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, like, <laughs> are you are you reading? Are you reading anything with profit that you might want to tell people about? Because I realize like we we make no recommendations. We just sort of trash things or we talk about shows we're not watching or anything. And I thought maybe we should like say, you know, we've read a book that people you might want to enjoy reading. Well, I am listening to them about, I don't know six chapters in to i think it's adrian goldworthy's um biography of caesar and it's great so far you know but i'm not reading anything that's not mercenary reading for work type stuff rob what about you uh i did just read uh jamie Churchick kirchick's book um secret city uh which i thought was like, pretty good although he's ta- already taught i think we spoke about it at the beginning it was not, it was not yeah it, it it's not the uh, um, lurid enough, um, but it's still as, as because it's a work of scholarship. So I don't think that's a, a wrap on that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, and I'm supposed to be reading a new um, James Madison biography uh, for this book club that I'm in. And I have to confess I'm behind on it because I'm reading another Uh-oh. book. Um, yes. Called a history of the world in six glasses. By Tom Standage, who's an English writer, and has just been um, bought by an Irish uh, documentary company, and they kind of want to turn a documentary, so I'm helping them out with that, because they think it'd be kind of funny if the, the, the thing was, speaking of Cheers, was hosted by um, some Cheers cast, and uh, so I'm still oh, helping them do it. It's a good book. It's like uh, the history of the world just seen through uh, beer, wine, uh, distilled spirits, coffee, and tea. John, before you get to your own reading recommendations, can I sandbag you for a second? Yes. So I was, um, and I now realize that say, can I sandbag you sounds dirtier than I intended it, but um, uh, I was listening as I often do 
to the commentary podcast. Sometimes it's hard to keep up, but I, I listen to it almost every day. Thank you. And um, it was the Dan Senor episode. Now, you and I have a philosophical difference about some of this, where you, as I was explaining to my wife, uh, this is a little unfair, but you basically subscribe to the view that lots of people don't know anything. And so you have to explain it to them. And this is why at the Weekly Standard, you insisted that the parody section be called parody because <laughs> otherwise people wouldn't figure it out. And it's always driven me crazy. And you we didn't often... do it. We didn't do it till the fourth issue because people literally wrote us letters saying, I don't that's get ridiculous. No one ever said that. Or, you know, uh -huh. Lamar Alexander di didn't convert to Islam. Who's being, who's being naive then, now? <laughs> I mean, literally, literally like, so we were like, I guess we have to call it parody because anyway. Go OK, ahead. so and like you'll often sometimes absolutely correctly uh, stop Noah on one of his tears and say, explain who that is and that kind of thing. But I was I burst out into laughter in the dog park uh, in the, this morning because I was listening to you talking to Dan Senor and you're talking about Jerome Powell and the Fed and inflation and yada, yada, whatever. And then Dan Senor amidst this complicated argument about the politics and the economics of all this was all very, uh, you know, enlightening and edifying mentioned Kevin McCarthy and you stopped dead and said, now, Kevin McCarthy, he is a Republican congressman and the leader of the Republicans in the House. And I was like, who is listening to the commentary podcast that does not know who Kevin McCarthy is? And why would you cater to them if they are listening to it? <laughs> I have a really genuinely embarrassing answer to that. That is a perfect glop answer, <laughs> which is that when you say Kevin McCarthy to me, my first thought is not Representative Kevin McCarthy of California. It is Kevin McCarthy, the star of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, sure. Right. <laughs> and uh, who is actually the brother of Mary McCarthy, the famous right. novelist and critic. Um, but uh, that is actually who I think of. But and could, so when somebody mentions Kevin McCarthy, the audience, they would pick saying, up from context that it wasn't the guy that would say minority <laughs> leader Kevin McCarthy. I'm like, oh, oh no, they invasion of the body snatchers guy. He, He's about yeah. the guy who was invasion. Of the he's body not going to pass the continuing resolution. I think in context, <laughs> you'd figure it out. I said it was embarrassing. Okay. I said it was embarrassing. I was not being overly pedantic. This this is some weird glitch brain glitch on my part. But you're you're absolutely right. And the only thing I wanted to say about the on the book thing is that I happened to read two different books in the last couple of weeks that are eerily similar in theme and very much part of our what we might consider our conservative critique of liberal bohemia one is called also a poet it's by the uh writer ada calhoun and it is a kind of memoir of her father who was a famous art critic named peter sheljal um, and his doomed effort to write a biography of the poet frank o'hara and her effort uh to take that biography over and show him up because he was such an indifferent bohemian father. And the other is called um, Everyone Thought We Were Crazy. And it's a book about Dennis Hopper and his wife, Brooke Hayward, in the 1960s, who were at the center of this new art scene in California where there were beans and there were how Andy Warhol started showing and they had this house and there were all these uh, art, horrible works of art there. And, um, and they were both kind of nuts. They had these little kids running around uh, paying no attention to them. And uh, and it's very depressing. And this sort of portrait of these 
bohemian parents and the children whom they mistreated and ignored and uh, pay and and uh, and acted as though they were just sort of like appendages in life. Um, it very much is a is a continuing theme of the writing about American elites or so American artistic elites, very powerful. Uh, Ada Calhoun's book in particular, also a poet, is really quite a wonderful uh, version of the story because she both, she adores her father, she hates him, he is selfish, he is compelling, he is all kinds of different things. And it's it's really kind of a remarkable book. But um, these accounts of the the lives, the sort of the wreckage that is left by people who believe themselves to be living more authentically yeah. than, you know, ordinary bourgeois people who just like boringly go to and sit at their kids swim meets for three hours and then drive them home, you know, and then feed them and put them to bed. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty startling. It's worth remembering what it, in some ways, what it is that we're fighting against. Uh, huh. I think anyway, uh, good to know. I'll tell my wife, she's on a reading jag these days. So it's, it's yeah. Uh, Ada Calhoun. Anyway, uh, so I guess we're wrapping up yeah, here. If you brought the room down. Uh, j- yeah, a moment of silence for Larry Storch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Agarn. Yeah. I remember I remember seeing him on Wonderama, the New York, the morning, the kids morning show in New York. And he did a bunch of like impressions of people that the kids had no idea what it was he was doing. And he was like, stood there with Bob McAllister, the host This is like eight 30 in the morning. I don't think it was taped. It was, it wasn't shown oh, live. Man. I don't think it was like taped and Thursday afternoon. So he's like, I'm bombing here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause I was like nine years old. I just remember Larry starts like throwing his hands up in there and saying, I'm I'm bombing bombing what, what am I going to do? With this audience of kids and yeah. bleachers, you know, in the bleachers at, at Wonderama. You're, he's telling Adelaide Stevenson jokes. So uh, just because I, I'm, a, I'm a Larry Storch fan. Um, Are you a Storch head? Are you a Storch head? I'm a Storch head, totally. Um, he went to the same high school as my father, wow. DeWitt Clinton, in the Bronx. He's about 10 years older ten or so than my dad. But um, where he met... Don Adams, and they became lifelong friends. Hmm. Don Adams was the star of Get Smart. Yeah, see, that was allowed, it was- yeah, and and also a, and also and also a congressman from Oregon. <laughs> also the congressman from Oregon. <laughs> I don't know. By the way, it's very likely yeah. that there is a congressman from Oregon Don named Don Adams. Adams. What did you believe? I don't, right. you know, there are four hundred and thirty-five of them. So God knows, you know. So my new possible. thing, my new look, anyway, go, my new conversation. Yes. Tech, just to be aware, I want you to hear it. Uh, and 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 then we'll talk about it when we convene. I just noticed a new thing. People saying like, you, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Larry Storch. Like, oh, are you a Storch guy? The, uh, the, uh, this uh, this guy. <laughs> this, I'm, a, I'm a. Let me tell you something. I'm a. Uh, in the summer, I'm a shorts guy, or I'm a t-shirt guy. People saying I'm a this kind of guy. Uh, I now that you, when you once you hear it, like it's everywhere. You'll hear it all the time. And it'll be like iconic. You'll you'll it'll infuriate you. Yeah. Bill Burr, who is like my, one of my, my favorite comics now, Bill Burr has this thing about You're how Bill Burr guy, Bill Burr guy? I, I'm a Bill Burr guy, You're a comedy but, guy? Bill Burr, Bill Burr, but Bill Burr says like men can only acknowledge each other when they're being insulting and foul. So it's like, you know, you go into a you go into a restaurant there, fr- you know, there are people there that, you know, you walk in yeah. and someone goes, oh, this guy. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> they let this guy in. Yeah, right. look at this yeah. guy. It's like, <laughs> so it's like one of those things when someone observes something you you know that crystallizes right. something you've you've watched your entire life or seen, but you've never actually thought through as a as a tick or some rather deep insight into human nature. Like, okay. I can't say, oh, my God, I'm so glad to see you. It's really great to see you. You, you can't yeah. do that. It's too exposing. Right. So you can just go, oh, oh this, this guy, this guy, <laughs> this guy, huh? Better watch your wallets. Yeah. Right. So, so you're see, 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 see you guys later. Yeah. Huh? So you're, you're guys, you you're, guys, you're a Bob guy, you're a <laughs> podcast guy. Yeah, these guys. <laughs> That's the end, right? We're, that's All right. The <laughs> We're done. <Yeah. laughs> Ricochet. Join the conversation.